Welcome to Executives at the Edge, a podcast brought to you by MEF. I'm your host, Pascal Venezes. Join me as we explore thought-provoking perspectives from the leaders and change makers who are propelling enterprise digital transformation forward. I am so really excited to have Charman Sang and Paul Parker from DC Connect Global. And today I think you're gonna find a very, very interesting episode on blockchain technologies and how blockchain is being used in a different way for interconnecting data centers and optimizing the path, route, and cost, and doing that at very rapid speeds versus each party trying to talk to each other to figure that out. So, Charmon and Paul, welcome to Executives at the Edge. Oh, hi. Hi, Pascal. Um, thank you for having me here. My name is Charmon Tang. I'm the CCO of DC Connect. So, uh, what I do is I'm responsible for the business and commercial side of the company and uh, we do a lot of our uh, partnership and seek to develop our services and product into different market. So, so far since well, um, our relationship and partnership with MEF, so it actually really helped us to leverage uh, MEF resources and help us actually to go to different uh, target industry, target continent for us to meet a lot of new partners. So uh, once again, thank you for having me here. So I appreciate this opportunity to have this chance to talk to you, Pascal. Of course, uh, well, pleasure, pleasure is ours. Hi, Pascal. Uh, my name is Paul Parker. I'm the principal architect for DC Connect's Televerse project. Uh, and I'm looking forward to your questions. What does DC Connect do? Well, yeah, uh, we are a software company and a network service provider. So in a way, we do two things. Well, we are an NAS, NAS provider and we are also a SaaS provider. Uh, because we run and build our own network infrastructure, we build pops around the world. Uh, we have our own backbone, have our own connectivities. And at the moment, we have over a thousand pops, SDN pops globally. It's all run on the uh, SDN platform. And then we also interact with a lot of different API partners through the uh, LSO API. Now, and because of our ability to interact with a lot of different products through the LSO API. So it actually really helped us to leverage and uh, increase our footprint of coverage very rapidly. So we, we can manage to to increase to over 1,000 pops just in three years. So it's something that no not a single carrier that can do. It only can work this way through partnerships. So and this can add, we just you not know, just only selling connectivities, but we also license our software through a SaaS model to build players that are interested to use a software platform to offer SDN NAS services. So that's basically what we, what we do. In the Red Forest, it's a Televerse DAO project. Um, what is the rationale by choosing decentralized over centralization? And maybe just talk about this project, Red Project, uh, and the Televerse DAO. I mean, people don't even know what DAO is. Let me just give a little bit of background. Okay. Um, so. The progression here is that as DC Connect grew, we took on partners who allowed us to use their infrastructure. So we SSH into their switches, we uh, configure them and use it for our customers. Um, and from there, the, the, next, the next reach was to use API partners, which is all well and good. And, but even with uh, the, the leveraging of MEF 
uh, LSO, Sonata, and things like this. Uh, the process of integrating with an API partner is still a unit of work, and it's a substantial unit of work. So Televerse is our effort to move away from that model onto a model where one unit of work gets you onto the network. So you're able to interact with multiple carriers, service providers, um, just from one unit of work. Instead of having to do that work many times over for each, uh, for each service provider, uh, you do it once, and then you've got connectivity to maybe 20 service providers in, in one hit. Um, DAOs, okay, so a, a DAO is a f relatively new concept. The, um, the criticism of DAOs to date is that they haven't been very practical. So uh, you can point at 10 projects that, uh, that have failed in, in that space. The ones that do persist are those ones that have immediate monetary value. So you're looking at things that, um, that exchange currency on the internet. The, the use cases for business haven't been so, so, so successful. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that public blockchain isn't good for business. The, um, the fact that you have to expose your private data in a public forum, a lot of the time that can be dangerous. Any effort you make to obscure your data tends to be somewhat of a hack. The, um, the answers to those questions, however, have come relatively recently. So we've got new technologies like zero-knowledge EVM, yep, um, exactly. ITM. These are, these are opening up this space. Uh, so we don't have to have private uh, blockchains, which yep. is, was, was the alternative in the past. We can have public, public blockchains with private zero-knowledge EVMs that allow us to share secrets, co our commercial secrets amongst trusted parties without exposing it to the, to the public, um, but allowing the public to verify it. Uh, and that's very powerful. So, so the so for our listeners, the acronym of DAO, decentralized autonomous organization. organization. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And just to and what does that mean? Because I'm, I'm not sure it's a very well known. Okay. So the concept here is the analog would be a company. So a company is is a not an autonomous organization. It's an organization that has legal structure. A DAO, on the other hand, has coding structure. So the operations of a DAO mirror the operations of a company, except that they are coded. If you try to make some change um, unilaterally, that's impossible. Uh, the code will reject it. We try to build in mechanisms within the DAOs to allow some flexibility. It's still an area of research that's still very much in its infancy. Um, the movement now is towards DAO templates. So um, basically collections of code that have been audited and allow us to spin up uh, DAO structures uh, with that kind of confidence behind them. Okay, and why the rationale between decentralization and centralization? Okay, so this comes back to the question before. Uh, if you want to collaborate with many business partners at the same time, uh, either you have to trust one big business partner to, uh, to build up the centralized infrastructure. Um, one example would be something like Diners Club. So when Diners uh, first came into existence, it was really just solving one problem. And that's the problem of rich people going to restaurants and not wanting to use cash. So the Diners, uh, the Diners Club card was born. That, that's obviously a centralized solution. Uh, and it's, it works because 
uh, you had that one player in town kind of uh, situation. If on the other hand, we'd had a situation where we had many, many different competing platforms trying to create the same thing, I don't think it would have been as successful. When it comes to telecommunications, everyone's on a level playing field, really. So on top of what Paul had just said, um, uh, my view is um, initially um, the T1 players, they don't like the ideas of decentralization. Um, but I think the early adopter or the DAO uh, network will be those tier two players or those which are very innovative, uh, very adaptable to new technology. And they are willing to transform themselves into a new way to offer the telecom services. But as long as the momentum grows, we will start to build a community in the decentralization organization. So a lot of players, which are part of the community between the members, they contribute to ideas, right? And they will be very active in participate in the DAO environment. Oh, in this case, when the community go bigger, the network resources of the decentralized network will increase. And at that time, I believe the tier one players will start realizing that, hey, this is a market that they will they, they should have missed. So eventually, the T1 player will join the decentralized network later on. But even they're not the first mover, but I believe in the future they will follow. And you're seeing tier two providers actually see the, that they have to be on the innovation cycle. They have to be leaders versus the tier ones. Because tier ones generally can be slow, but they have the reasons and the business reasons. I mean, most of the time they're looking at blockchain now for just, you know, as they rely on their partners for elastic capabilities, they have to, you know, build and settle on that. So that's like the top of their mind. But, but you're using it in a very different approach. So maybe that's, can you maybe help our listeners with that? Okay, the, the problem we are trying to solve is um, to make sure that all the resources available are being used and utilized in, 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 in a better way. So there's a lot of ENNI, which is network to network interface available in the world, but not, they're not public information. They are, the info, they are the information between two carriers. Now, if you, imagine, if you can imagine that if you can node all the single ENNI information in the world, so, and then and all the pricing information uh, between all the ENNI. So in this case, we are able to create a network map so that we can calculate the best network path for a certain requirement. But in order to do that, right, we start, we have, we have some challenge that we have to overcome. Some carrier might not want to share their uh, commercial company information, such as the ENNI locations, such as the pricing information. But with the Red Forest Tenverse project, we have a mechanism, we have an idea and to how to solve it. If we manage to do that, so what outcome would be? So there will be a led network of resources, which the DAO will have the visibility. So in this case, we can utilize a lot of resources. Now, those resources may come from tier two players, right? They might not be the tier one players. So in this case, tier two players and tier one players suddenly they are in the same level playing field, right? The DAO can pick the best resources from anyone which are contribute or contribute into the network. So in this case, tier two player will be very happy to be the first adopter to the Televerse DAO. So let me let me put the use case together here now, see if I get this right. 
So you have a decentralized block blockchain, uh, basically. Which, so it's using blockchain technology. It's a public blockchain, right? The proofs are put back to the public blockchains. What you're trying to do is in the DAO is basically you have all these organizations, you have these entities that participate in that, and you are now exchanging ENI informations between each other, and then from there you can then calculate the best path to go from two different entities or companies that needs services provision, correct? That's that, correct. Is that what I got right? And the, now, why on a centralized, on a centralized database? Because or someone would have to own that, run it, have visibility into it, like an identity provider model. Exactly. We need a point of trust. A so you need to trust, trust the, the person that you're giving your information to. Exactly. Ah, so that's the key point. No one wants to trust a central database, but all yet sensitive data into it. With the decentralized blockchain approach, you everybody can... controls their own. No sees their own, and until they the query, then only thing is the output of what they asked. Exactly. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Just want to connect the dots for our listeners. So, um, okay. Oh, thank you. So, basically, what constitutes the primary innovation then of the Televerse DAO project? The key innovation here is that the each of the service providers have their own node. They control their own data, and they only reveal as much of it as they need for any particular commercial activity. So if they need to produce a circuit, the only individuals, the only service providers they need to share with are the ones that are party to that circuit. Got it. And for our listeners, because I think this is a great topic, what exactly, public, public blockchains, what's exactly the problem and how does zero knowledge proof solve this? So if you want to store a proof that you're doing this business, this commercial activity on a public blockchain, you have to have that information stored on the public blockchain. If, for instance, we want to use the, another technical term here, the EVM. So we want to use solidity contracts to calculate out the routes. We have a big problem because anything that the EVM can see, anybody can see. The EVM, Ethereum virtual machine. Yes, exactly. So the Ethereum virtual machine is not great for hiding these kind of details. And that's where the zero knowledge EVM comes in. Um, the zero knowledge EVM is an evolution from zero knowledge rollups, if anyone knows what that is. Uh, in the past, zero knowledge rollups were relatively limited. You come up with an algorithm and you devise a means of sharing that you, that the operation of that algorithm is correct. You devise a means of demonstrating that probabilistically to an observer. With the zero-knowledge EVM, what we're actually doing is proving that a Turing complete mechanism is doing that. So basically, we're fitting every possible calculation that we could do into this new zero-knowledge EVM context. And that means that we don't have to worry about coming up with our own algorithms for proving something in this zero-knowledge roll-up context. We can do it everything on this zero knowledge EVM machine, and there's no roadblock. And in the EVM runs a smart contract. Yeah, it runs the DAO. So the smart contracts that make it up the DAO, DAO are right. inside that zero knowledge yeah, EVM. Great. Now, is the actual data stored in that smart contract in the blockchain, or or like in the baseline protocol, they you don't store that data. You store it on your own. 
That's right. You store that data on your own. Um, there are certain levels. So for instance, uh, membership and things like that, that would be on in the zero knowledge EVM, but not publicly available. Well, I think this is a great tutorial for our listeners on blockchain <laughs> and certainly a great use case, of course. And uh, I think we're about to wrap up, but I got a good question that, you know, chat GPT is being, you know, the rave now recently. And is it possible for chat GPT or other AI technologies to interface with this project? And if so, what might be the use cases? Okay, so um, we're often talking about super users uh, for Televerse and super user is defined as a user that doesn't really exist yet. Uh, they're, they're people with, with coding knowledge and, um, and the need to move data quickly and flexibly. So being able to produce circuits quickly. Um, from, from my perspective, ChatGPT itself is not very useful, uh, but a, an AI that we train specifically for this use case could be useful. To recap, this is a, but a decentralized blockchain approach where data is stored indirectly. Everybody stores their own direct data indirectly. And then from that, in this organization's DAO, parties can then go and figure out how to connect between each other in the most optimal way and using AI technology assists on that. Well, again, I want to thank you, Chaman and Paul. And it sounds like this is a really great innovative use case for blockchain. This is really awesome. So I want to thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having us, Pascal. No worries. Thank you.